welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Mato, joined as always by Chris Bugay. Hey, Chris. How's it going, Rachel? Good. You were going to tell me a story right before we started this, and I was like, wait, wait, we should record this. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm glad we hit the record button to tell this story. So uh, it's just a small little silly story, but um, we are going on vacation. We are taking two weeks off from the podcast. There won't be any new content necessarily in the feed. Uh, we might still have some Patreon things that might go out, but but the main feed will be dark for two weeks. Uh, this is your chance to go back and listen to other episodes, you know, go back in the feed. But we are taking some time off and to set of if, if someone wasn't um, listening right away or they got to it late or just to kind of get the message out uh we worked on creating actually uh lauren uh, uh, your your assistant um created an image for us that is going up in the social media feeds that is like a vacation like image you have to wait and see it if because uh, it's it's kind of funny and so lauren had reached out to me and said chris do you have any like pictures of you um in this certain uh like pose or the, in a certain location i don't want to give it away you know i want you to see the image <laughs> And so, uh, so I sent her like a, uh, a Google photo album, you know, where I had just gone through all my pictures and put them together in a photo album. And I sent her the link and I was like, here, any of these work? And I was just going through my old pictures. I found something that I did that I forgot that I had done. I was the moderator for a, um, a Twitter chat called CTD, uh, Center for Technology and Disabilities. It was a, it was a, it's just a Twitter chat, you know, an hour-long Twitter chat. And I, they had asked me to advertise for it. And so I had created an image where um, I was, I remember I was uh, in Florida with, with Melissa, my wife, and we were sitting around the pool. And I knew I had this little task of, like, you know, creating this advertising image. So I was sitting there in a beach chair, and I had my sunglasses on, and I was reading a book. And so I pulled out my bookmark, and I held it up, and I took a selfie with, not, I wasn't looking at the camera, looking away with the book mark and then i just transposed like ctd talk you know 8 adm right on the bookmark and that's when i went out and i just remembered back in the day when i used to make i mean i still do these, these sorts of things but i don't do them at the, the the rate i used to is make silly images like the one you're going to see for us taking vacation and i just it reminded me of the, of the days when i was like yeah i used to photoshop and yeah i used to you know make these sorts of things um it made me feel nostalgic for doing it maybe want to go make some more yeah yeah, so if you guys haven't joined our Facebook group, it's definitely going to go off in there. Um, and then on Instagram, we're just the handle talking with tech. Um, our Instagram, Chris, is growing, actually. Like, it's it's funny because when we first started, I feel like it was, you know, and a majority of our audience is on Facebook. But Instagram, like, every time I go on there, we have lots of new followers. And uh, we always post uh, the audio clips from each ep week's episode. We kind of pick a sound bite and then put that on our social media to promote that week's podcast. Um, but yeah, our social media is kind of popping off. Fantastic, fantastic. More people hear about it, more they learn about AAC. Exactly. So Chris, let's talk about this week's episode. I'm really excited for uh, the interview that we did. Can you give the backstory on how this all came to be? Sure. So this interview is with Kevin Williams and Latif McLeod, and they are two black gentlemen who use AAC. And when they listened to the Kara Walton episode, they wrote and said, hey, do you want us to come on and talk about it? And we were like, absolutely. So um, they came on and we had a, the four of us were on and had a nice discussion about um, uh, what it's like to be an AAC user uh, who's black. Um, and we got their perspectives. They shared their perspectives. They, um, you know, they, they had, of course, a lot to say and we had a lot to learn. So um, it was an awesome uh, conversation. In fact, we've been having ongoing conversations with them via email. Yeah, and I just really appreciate their perspective. I mean, we love having AAC users on this podcast. Let me start by saying that. They're probably my favorite episodes because we can talk all day long about AAC, but it's so insightful to have AAC users on to talk about their experience. Um, and one of the, the highlights actually for me, Chris, during this interview um, was at one point Kevin had said something like, Basically, he said something to the point of, I'm excited to talk 
about something other than AAC, um, which I feel like was so kind of eye-opening to me. I mean, obviously we have a podcast dedicated to AAC. So when we have an AAC user on, we're like, you know, geeking out on the AAC piece because that's what we, you know, know and love and are passionate about. Um, But it was really interesting for me to hear Kevin say that because it really kind of, I had this like aha moment and I was like, wow, you're right. Like, you know, oftentimes, you know, when we talk to an AAC user, that's kind of what we're deep diving into is their experience as an AAC user. But AAC users have a lot of other things to talk about too. Um, and so that was a kind of a, a nice thing um, about this podcast was we Yes, we're talking to AAC users about their experience, but more importantly, you know, we were talking about things other than just AAC. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, once you have have learned language, right? We often you and I are working with kids to teach them language. Well, now that you know it, what do you do with it? You know, that's the power behind having language, and that's what these guys are doing. Is they're using their voice to change the world, right? And that is why it's so important that we teach people language, is so that then they can do things with that language uh, to make an impact with their either their immediate environment or the world beyond. Exactly, um, and I've really loved our course. After the episode aired, we've kind of been having this ongoing dialogue um, about some of the things that, you know, we talked about on the podcast. We went into a little bit more detail about. um, And one of the things I actually um, asked in the email thread to Latif and Kevin was um, about one of my clients. So kind of a little bit of a backstory. I started working with a, 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 a gentleman who is now almost 22 years old and just started using an AAC system, I'd say like two and a half to three years ago. And, you know, has made a world of progress, is doing really great with the device, um, is now putting lots of words together into sentences and kind of formulating unique thoughts and ideas. Um, And so what I was thinking for this particular client of mine was how cool would it be to have the access to some type of social experience where he could see other AAC users communicating with a device. Um, Because, you know, this student, especially now because of COVID-19 and all of the kind of quarantining, um, is quite isolated. And then even more so, um, you know, I don't know that he's ever seen anyone use a device to communicate. And so we talked in this interview about a virtual chat that's hosted by Isaac. Um, And that's what got me thinking, you know, after that interview, I ended up, you know, supervising one of my clinicians who sees this student. And I was like, wow, like that would be really awesome if they could participate in something like that. Um, But then I started thinking, well, like, you know, he's still learning language. So I think it might be a little overwhelming to him if he had to participate. Um, And then, you know, you actually, Chris, mentioned um, some of the uh, chats on Twitter, which I thought was a really good idea as a way to have him communicate asynchronously so he's able to think about something and, you know, even potentially work with, you know, myself or one of my clinicians to help during one of his sessions to formulate a response, um, which I thought was a really good idea. But, you know, I think it's just it's so important for AAC users who are adult AAC users to see other people using AAC, um, especially for this client that I'm thinking of. Um, you know, I just think it would make you know him feel so much more excited to communicate and socialize um, and feel more like he belongs, um, you know, because a lot of the social situations that he is in with school, you know, he's he's not communicating with AAC users. He's communicating with, you know, kids in his class who speak um, verbally. So anyway, it was a really interesting discussion. And um, Kevin, both Kevin and Latif had really good insight into um, this specific student of mine and also some ideas. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to throw it back into our, our audience and our listeners. If you guys have any ideas, um, you know, or you know of any virtual groups that are happening, um, either social, you know, socially based or like Chris mentioned, the Twitter chat, um, please, please, please email us at talkingwithtech at gmail.com. I would love to know um, of anything that 
potentially I don't even know about, Chris. I feel like there's probably things out there that are already existing that I don't know about. Um, and so I think that would be really great. Yeah, you know, I think another thing layered in there is, because uh, you had mentioned the idea that him seeing someone else may motivate him or inspire him to be like, well, wait a second, I can be like that guy, right? I mean, I, if that person is doing it, then I can do it. That pr- prints a picture uh, that I can be working towards. And I think that is also a good thing to share with families. Like sometimes it's, well, I don't even know what direction we're heading. What is the potential? Well, let me show you this video or participate in this chat as uh, or, or whatever the experience is to see like, oh, well, my kid could be like that person, right? Yes, exactly. That's where we're, that's where we're headed. And something else you mentioned, and I think you put it in the email thread, but just to, to, to throw the term out there on the podcast, you had suggested that he might start off as a lurker, you know, where maybe he's just there and he's not actually being an active participant. He's more of a passive participant, and which I think is well a way a lot of people start off. You know, the first time I've ever participated in a Twitter chat, it wasn't so I could jump in there and have my voice heard. It was more to like read what people were saying in this chat. Maybe the first handful of times I didn't really participate until I felt comfortable. Then I think about how many times I'd start to type something and delete it, you know, that asynchronous nature of a Twitter chat, where if you're not familiar, the way that works is everyone, uh, there's a hashtag and you all participate using the hashtag. Usually there's questions that are associated and people are answering questions. Um, So you might say like question number one, and then you'd answer answer number one and everyone respond. And at the end of your uh, tweet, you put a hashtag and that's how you can kind of organize the, the conversation. But you have time that you don't have to do it as fast. Um, oftentimes, and I noticed um, in the the Isaac chat that Latif is facilitating, they've done that as well. They've posted the questions ahead of time so people can kind of think about it ahead of time, formulate their thoughts, work with other people to put their thoughts together. Um, whatever accommodations, whatever uh, tools and strategies they need, they have the time to do that ahead of time. Um, the the one that Latif is doing, uh, the where he's the moderator, uh, and the ones that he moderates on with Isaac, I believe are done through Google Meet. Um, so that is a video chat compared to the Twitter chat that is text-based. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential there for people to, to learn from each each other um, without the pressure of feeling like you have to participate in an active sense until you feel comfortable in doing so. Yeah. And what's funny, actually, Chris, is I feel like I'm a lurker in leg groups. <laughs> like I'm not one to be really vocal. And I think that, you know, it kind of just depends on your disposition. Um, now, if I like see something and I'm like, oh, I could definitely help with that. Um, or I definitely have insight or I have an app idea or a resource or something like that I'll jump in Um, but generally speaking I'm more of like a consumer when I'm in a lot I'm thinking mostly about Facebook groups but yeah I think that it's 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 a great it's a great thing to just recognize that it's okay to not actively participate in the beginning stages Um, the same way that we wouldn't you know, in any circumstance, even if we were sitting at a, you know, table at a new meeting and with this new group that we decided to join, like, we're not going to like come out the gate, just like, you know, talking, you know, up a storm and, you know, giving everybody our ideas. We kind of have to like survey the scene, see what the the vibe of the group is, um, and kind of slowly work our way into that. So I'm happy that you brought that up because I think the term lurking tends to have a negative connotation, but, um, you know, I I think that acclimating to a new group and just uh, being more passive is okay. Speaking of easing into things, let's ease into this interview with Kevin Williams and Latif McLeod. People all over the world need augmentative and alternative communication. Despite the global need, some areas of the world don't have access to the same resources as others. Low-tech AAC can be a functional, cost-effective way to bring communication to more people universally. Low-tech tools are also used widely by high-tech AAC users to have a backup or alternative means to communicate. These low-tech tools often get torn, crushed, crumpled, soaked, or otherwise destroyed easily. They aren't often made with durability in mind. Enter PixiePal a durable low-tech solution. Place printed symbols in transparent plastic containers called Pixie Snaps, which fit snugly into a portable carrying case. Each case allows for three double-sided Pixie Snaps, giving people six surfaces to interact with. 
The carrying case acts like a book, allowing a user to flip between multiple pages of symbols. This innovative design makes PixiePal the perfect, portable, customizable, and splash-proof low-tech solution. You can check it out for yourself by following at PixiePal on Facebook. But that's not all. PixiePal has partnered with some amazing organizations, such as the Nika Project, the Kaizora Center, OIC Cambodia, and many more to help bring functional and affordable AAC to anyone in the world. PixiePal has been a UNICEF Champions of children supporters since 2019. The first generation of Pixie Pal is blue, in tribute of UNICEF's work worldwide. A Pixie Pal crowdfunding campaign has already launched. You can follow, comment, and share the initiative by going to pixiepal.com. That's P-I-C-S-E-E-P-A-L.com. That's Pick like picture, see like with your eyes, and pal like a friend. Send them a direct message and register your interest for one of the first Pixie Pals ever made. Each time a Pixie Pal is purchased, another Pixie Pal will be donated to one of these trusted partners. The goal is to donate 1 million Pixie Pals worldwide. To join us in being part of this global movement, go to facebook.com backslash PixiePal and hit the follow button to help bring AAC to everyone in the world who needs it. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. How's it going, Rachel? It's good. I'm so excited. We're also joined by Latif McLeod and Kevin Williams. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Hi. Okay. How about you? I'm okay. How about you? We are awesome, Kevin. Latif, how are you doing? Hi. Am good. I am good. Awesome. So let's start with you, Latif. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I am Latif McLeod, and I am a PhD candidate in the Anthropology and Social Change Program at California Institute for Integral Studies, and also the Vice President of the Lead Committee at the International Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. I am also a published poet with two books out, A Declaration of a Body of Love and Whispers of Crip Love, Shouts of Crip Revolution. I am also in the process of writing a novel entitled The Third Eye is Crying. Wow, what a resume, Latif. We're yeah. so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Kevin Williams. I'm a freelance web developer from my home in Charlotte, North Carolina, and all around Techie. One of the sites I maintain currently is Uzac.org. I am also the Chief Technical Officer of Uzac, aka the Technical Support, where I maintain and advise the organization on technology-related issues. I am a member of the Isaac League Committee, and in the fall I will be taking over for Latif as committee chair. Lastly, I co-moderate an Isaac bi-weekly chat for people who use ACK on the Google Meet platform to discuss whatever is on people's mind during the pandemic. Cool. Cool, guys. So let's give the listeners some background on how this whole interview came about. Right. So Rachel and I did an episode with Kara Walton, who um, who was talking about uh, black issues and AAC specifically, specifically from an SLP standpoint. And you guys listened to that episode and you were like, well, we're black AAC users. So can you you want to you want to interview us? And we were like, yeah, <laughs> yes, we do, because um, maybe you have some perspectives here that we need to learn from. Uh, so let me ask, so can you, as AAC users, can you give us a little bit of background? What's your experience been like? How have you come to use AAC and what are you currently using? What's your experience like? Uh, again, Latif, you want to go first? Yeah. 
I was using AAC since the age of six when I obtained my first AAC device, the Touch Talker. My current AAC system consists of using the Brolocmode to go and Brolocmode for text apps in my iPad and my iPhone. I started using the Brolocmode to go app because I was a beta tester for the product and I liked how the app worked and how it turned my devices into AAC devices. I switched to using mostly the Brolocmo for text app because the folks in Assistive Wear saw me at an Isaac conference using Brolocmo to go and suggested that I use Brolocmo for text because I communicate using text and word predictions and less with using icons. You're both active in communities with... Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So that makes a lot of sense is that you were at a conference, they saw you using their product and said, mm, you know what, this might be a better match. And you tried it and you were like, yeah, this is good. Right. I have a question, Latif. Do you, so you toggle back and forth between Proloquo and Proloquo for text? <laughs> yes. Sometimes. I use Proloquo to go when I read my poetry because it is easier to access stored praises on the app. Yes, sometimes I use Proloquo to go when I read my poetry because it is easier to access stored phrases on the app. And that makes a lot of sense. I, I love that because I think sometimes people get really hung up on like, what system? What's the one system? And I think that, you know, like all of us, we can use multiple tools depending on the circumstance, depending what we need. Um, so I, it's really cool to hear that you use both. Now, Kevin, what about you? What's your background What uh, and your experience with AAC? I currently use Unity 144 on an Accent 1000. I have been using Mystic and some variation for about 27 years when I got my first device, the Liberator, at the age of 15. Up to 15, I used two manual communication boards. My first communication board had 500 plus list symbols with labels. The symbols were categorized and color-coded with the Fitzgerald key. My second communication board replaced the bliss symbols with more vocabulary words because no communication partner cared to know bliss. Yeah, that makes sense. Bliss can be confusing for people that don't know it, and that's uh, most people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, all right, so we could talk AAC, and I think we're going to talk more about it, but one of the reasons we really wanted to, to chat, and I think one of the reasons you wanted to come on, was talk about the, the social justice issues that are happening right now in relation to the Black community and in relation to AAC users. So what do you see as the predominant issues facing these communities? Kevin, you want to go first this time? Sure. First, let me say that I do not even pretend to know the predominant issues facing the communities I'm a part of, and recent events woke me up and gave me a hunger and means to educate myself on what it is to be black and disabled. Through documentaries like Crip Camp on Netflix and the subsequent webinar series about disability culture and the intersection with so many other cultures, including being Black America. 
Because I'm active in both communities, I always recognize and feel odd in both the majority black event due to my disability, and equally as odd when I'm at an event geared towards people with disabilities because of my race. Seeing others going through the same struggle helps me understand my odd feelings. But to answer your question directly, I think education and knowing what action to take in response are the two predominant issues in any community. Make changes just within your circle of friends, family, and the groups you actively participate in. A small, uncomfortable conversation with the people who you have direct influence over is a million times more effective than participating in a public demonstration when trying to make permanent change. Yet the demonstrations start those small, uncomfortable conversations. And this consistent cycle is what motivates all of us to do something. For example, I was in a discussion with friends over how person-first language, like the phrase, people who use I, can coexist with identity-first language like black, disabled, lives, matter. Yeah. Using the societal model of disability, our lives are disabled through restrictions and decisions made for us by the surrounding community. Conversations like this are needed to take place. Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's hear from Latif first, and then we'll dive in. I think for black people who use AAC and for the black disabled people in general is recognition of our cultural and political challenges that we deal with like inadequate access to education, instances of ableism directed towards us in our community, or when we have unfortunate and harmful interactions with police. I think that people are beginning to look at the intersectionality of being both black and disabled and begin to see how having those identities comes with its own experiences and challenges. These subjects need to be talked about more. I love um, what you guys are, you guys are kind of saying, we need to talk about it. I think that's the first step. And Kevin, I love what you said when you said you know, having an uncomfortable conversation with someone who's in your direct, you know, circle is so much, you know, more effective to stimulate change than just maybe going to a demonstration. Um, and I think it's through those, what I've learned through Kara's episode and, you know, just continuously over the last, you know, month or so is that, you know, we really need to start having conversations that, maybe you're really uncomfortable, um, you know, because we, we've kind of been conditioned to not talk about these things. And the first step is just addressing, you know, the language that people are using that could be harmful um, within your inner circle, right? Uh-oh. Yes. You are correct. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> I know, I know that is uh, something that um, I wrestle with a lot, actually. It was the idea that my own, uh, there's some family members that I might look to and think, all right, they are not saying things that I agree with and they're not using language that I agree with. And so now it's time to have an uncomfortable conversation <laughs> with them, you know? And like you said, if I, uh, having maybe changing their perspective is more powerful than changing some stranger that, you know, who could easily dismiss me, you know, but someone who cares for me might go, well, geez, if Chris really feels that way, then maybe I should change my mind. Do you know? Is that what you're getting at? Yes. Um, and if they are willing to listen to you that they love and care about then when 
a stranger tells them these things they may be more apt to listen than just write them off. And if they are willing to listen to you that they love and care about them when a stranger tells them these things, they may be more apt to listen than just write them off. That makes a lot of sense. Latif, anything to add or should we move on? Yes, that is definitely true that if you have these conversations with the people that are close to you, it will have more of an impact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is good to hear for me. Rachel, I won't speak for you, but I know for me because we do this podcast. So I'm often thinking of influencing strangers as opposed to the circle of people that are immediately around me. You know what I mean? Um, And maybe I should be. You know, maybe I should be shifting my perspective to thinking rather than trying to influence the the masses that might be listening to this, although that is one influence that maybe could happen, maybe a more greater impact if I'm listening, hearing what Kevin and Latif are saying is, is my own uh, circle and family. And I'll just add to that too. I think that it's, that's like the hard conversations, like addressing like your parents or your brother or, you know, a close friend, um, you know, because there's a lot of like, you know, things that go into that. Right. Um, but that's, that's kind of where we should start. Right. And I think you make up a really, you make a really great point, Kevin, it's like, we already have the trust, right? Like we know, like it's a, it should be a safe place to have an open conversation. Um, and so I think that's really good advice. Um, you know, reaching out to the people that you have in your life, um, and having those conversations. All right. I'm terrified to do it. I'll tell you both, I'm t- <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to some of my family members about it. <laughs> Yes, it is hard and there will be some hurt feelings, but if you don't hurt, it's not going to change anything. Yeah. we. How many times have we said that, Rachel, right? You don't grow in the comfort zone, right? You grow outside that comfort zone, so you got to move out there. <laughs> I feel like Latif has more to add. Yeah. But I think if we have more of these conversations, we will end up better for it and have a more stronger community that can deal with cultural and other differences better. We, we've said that before, Latif, the idea that, that uh, we were raised where there are certain things you don't talk about. And if you don't talk about them, then you don't know how to talk about them. And then it ends up feeling uncomfortable. But if you talk about them more, then it becomes more comfortable, becomes a, uh, uh, the first person who ever goes to a restaurant feels weird not knowing how to interact with a waiter. When you go to a restaurant more and more and more, and you suddenly get, no, this is how you interact, and this is how you do it. And this is the script that I use, and I understand how to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens if you have these conversations more frequently, you become more accustomed to them, and you can have more strategies to deal with them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Kevin's nodding. Hi. <laughs> I agree. Yes, we need to actively work on being more receptive to people that are different than us and find how we can dialogue respectfully with each other. And Kevin, you said it. It starts with education in any of the communities, or that's one big part of it, right? Hey, something else that, that, that you brought up that um, I think makes, at least it, it resonates with me, is the idea, Kevin, you said that it was kind of a wake-up call kind of recently, what, what the, the recent events. Uh, I, I know in my own sphere, like, I work with very successful people who are Black, and uh, the people that I interact with in my sphere 
I guess I didn't realize the rest of the world outside of the world, how things were. And this was a wake up call for me as well, if that makes sense. So I, I'm, I'm feeling that with you. So let's talk about that because I feel like that's a big, that is one of the big catalysts for this more re- recent resurgence of, of social change is the relationship between the black community and law enforcement. Would you, would you agree? Am I, am I on the right track there? You're both nodding. Yes, I would agree. Yes, I would agree. So let's talk about that. As as people with disabilities, what has your experience been with law enforcement? Do you have any stories to share or thoughts to share about the situation, insights that you might have? Um, and, and then on top of that, what kind of future steps would you take to maybe improve it, assuming that things were not great, you know? Uh, Kevin, do you want to go first? I think there is a communication breakdown between police and those who the officer doesn't identify with. And they follow through forcing people into a compliance. I would like police to employ a variation of the phrase that Rachel coined. It's tyrant don't require compliance. If police officers in a position of authority would employ that phrase, life would be great. I don't really want to explain it. When I am talking to the person who created it, I don't really want to explain it. When I am talking to the person who created it, and she can explain it much better than I could. But what I want to point out is that if you haven't already seen the Rashard Brooks video in Atlanta, even if you have seen it, I would encourage you to watch that video with the phrase inspire, don't require compliance in your mind, and reflect if you see something different. I picked Rashard Brooks because we can see the whole conversation play out. First of all, Kevin, I like the fact that you know my phrase makes me feel so happy. So thank you. Um, and I think what you're you're saying is, you know, we're we're jumping ahead too soon. The same way that when we're working with students and we're grabbing their hand and trying to get them to communicate with us, um, we need to just you know take a step back. And um, in regards to to law enforcement, is that what you're 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 saying? I'm saying how the officer communicates with the person of color, especially if they are disabled either by having a documented disability or just disabled by being drunk or by physically restraining them. They need to have patience and keep the conversation going and tell them exactly what they are doing before they act physically. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something my wife does. My wife is a teacher in the school, and what we're taught to do is before you touch anybody for any reason, you you ask permission, or, or you might say, pardon my touch, and you go in slowly, like to put some your hand on someone's shoulder or something like that to guide them. But you are communicating what you're going to do first so people are aware of it. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say, right, Kevin? Mm-hmm. Latif, what kind of experiences have you had? society, my perspectives of the situation and black disabled people in the police have been framed by older black disabled people that I have dialogued with who told me when they were negatively profited or abused by the police. I also personally read or witness several news stories where black, indigenous, or other people of color disabled people was abused or murdered by the police. My friend Leroy Moore partnered with an ex-policeman and filmmaker, Emmett Thrower, to produce a film called Where is Hope? The Art of Murder Chronicling the Police Murder and Abuse of Disabled People. I think the ableism and racism in policing mirrors the ableism and racism that occurs in the larger society. So we should think of how to get rid of ableism and racism from all our institutions and society. 
Latif and Kevin, let me ask you, the resources that you're sharing now, do you mind if you could send me an email after the fact? We're going to put those in the show notes so people can access them. They can watch those, the, the documentary themselves, for instance. Does that work? Okay, that will be fine. So Latif, in that, what you're, what you're explaining there, for, first of all, Sometimes when I do presentations uh, and I'm introducing the term core vocabulary to people for the first time, uh, there's this video that I show that was made by someone named Gail Van Tatenove of a gentleman who uses AAC and he constructs sentences using his, his MinSpeak device um, to report abuse happening in, in, his, uh, in his home that he was living in. Um, and if he didn't, hadn't learned that core vocabulary words, he could never defend himself. He couldn't tell anybody that the, that the abuse was happening. Uh, now, he happens to be a white gentleman. So I, I, I'm, what I'm wondering is, do you feel like the threat level is even higher as, a, as someone who's black and uses AAC? Yes, I think it is because of the unfortunate differences in resources historically that disenfranchised black communities, I think for black people who use AAC have less of a chance for their voices to be heard. Mm -hmm. Kevin, do you have something to say? Speak. And I think for people who use AAC at times when we need to speak to police, our disability doesn't allow us to be in a state where we can accurately convey a message because there is a certain cognizant focus you have to have to use AAC. And if you're in a situation out your comfort zone, the communication partner has to have extra patience to deal with both the trauma that the person is going through on top of the natural difficulties we have just to speak. And I, th and I think too, Kevin, it's all coming together for me for the Inspire Don't Require because the whole basis of that idea is in patience. And I think that's part of the problem is that one, not everybody understands how to communicate with someone who uses AAC or has a disability. And two, you know, the problem with law enforcement, as an example, is that there's no patience, right? It's just reaction. It's just, you know, force. And so I think that what you're saying, it, it's finally coming together for me, Kevin, the whole inspire don't require, um, because that's the problem is we need to have patience because AAC users, it takes time to convey a message and not everybody understands that. Um, and so I think that was, that was really beautifully put. And it might take longer to convey a message if your adrenaline's pumping and you're nervous and you're not, right, that you're saying you have kind of a calm focus to, to, to use the AAC. But when everything's heightened, it gets a little bit harder and stressed, you know? <laughs> Okay, another thing that, that uh, we talked about with Kara on that podcast was about symbol sets and vocabulary and using voices. And I just want to uh, share this with the listeners for a second is that when we were putting this episode together and kind of communicating back and forth about, you know, dates and times and we we're writing back and forth, you wrote this sentence, Kevin, you, you wrote, we... Latif and Kevin approach speaking with different methods. Obviously, you have two different communication systems, um, but we still keep our personality is. But we still keep our personalities as black men when we speak, and that seems to me like a, a goal we should have for young AAC users who who are black. Um, so, what step, steps have you taken, or that you're currently taking, to make sure your personality shine through as black men? Latif, you want to go first this time? <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin's like, give me some direction. <laughs> well, as you know, I am using the acapella voice Saul, which is the only African-American voice that I have found. And like everyone, I talk differently when I am around friends and family than I do in professional settings. Personality. So I am always creative when I speak so I can exhibit my personality. Can I ask about the, the, the voice for a second? Did you mean that you're using different voices in different settings? Or do you use just different words? 
different words and phrases. Like I think everyone talks differently when they are with friends than they do when working in an office. I think that's so true. In fact, we'll tell you a little behind the scenes secret here with the podcast is that before we hit the record button, Rachel and I are just riffing and talking and we use certain words or whatever. And then it's not that different, but there is a difference when we hit the record button and suddenly we're on, you know, and we know that people are listening, you know, now where there's a certain different, uh, I don't know what the word is, but feeling that comes about and so yeah we use different words and we pick different phrases and it's totally different than if we were hanging out on the back deck you know what i mean than if we were in a job interview right you i think it's called code switching is the official speechy word for it yeah kevin what are your thoughts i said this because i am a symbolic communicator who mystic and levies uses a more text-based system Many people like to compare the two methods and pick a winner. A good thing of us doing this together is to show people that really it doesn't matter what you use. You can't be articulate no matter what. It is going to take a lot of work and nothing is going to come easily. But no one device or system is better than another. Also, often people look towards the device, simple system, and voice synthesizer for an antidote to show personalities, but you cannot predict personality. Personalities for AAC come from our looks, grunts, chuckles, and most importantly, how we use all of them in concert. Too many people think the system is our voice, but really we use them to clarify what we say so others can understand. Voices are more than what you hear. I love that. I love that. You can't predict personality because you're so right. There's so many things that go into our communication, which you touched on, Kevin. You know, all the facial expressions that we're using, um, body language, um, all of those things are so important to communicate our personality and, you know, in a lot of ways, our culture. Um, And so I love that you said that um, because I think that you know, especially now with all of the heightened um, awareness around the issues, um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, are these, are these companies doing enough? Like, is there, is there enough out there as far as, you know, what symbols and all those things? But um, you brought a really great point up, which is it's all of those things that we naturally do that conveys who we are, um, all of the nonverbal things. Um, and so I just, I love how you said that. There are many ways that a person can communicate with someone else and the kids to find the right way to communicate given a certain setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a lot of speech language pathologists who listen to this show. And I think the takeaway for me is, um, you know, one, reminding, you know, all of our listeners that we can help kids, especially teach them these things, right? It's part of the process of teaching communication. It's not just the words, right? It's how we use the words. It's the social pragmatic piece um, that can be taught. And, you know, I've been thinking through, you know, guys, this has been such an amazing interview. Um, I've been trying to think through like, what are, you know, some action steps that we can start doing as clinicians to help support, um, you know, more cultural diversity to help support our users. Um, You know, I am a white speech language pathologist. If I'm working with a black student, like how can I support their ability to grow, not just their language skills, but also, you know, their their culture and and be culturally, you know, accepted and reflective of their culture. Um, And, you know, the first thing that keeps coming or the, the thing that keeps coming back to me is you have to work really closely with their family and you have to, you know, say to the family that that's a priority of yours. Um, would you guys agree with that? Depends on who's a person or kid you are working with because if the speech language pathologist works in the school, I know that right now and in the near future that is up in the air, but school is where most kids get their cultural language from either in the lunchroom or on the playground and 
I think speech language pathologist has just to listen to the kids around them to see what the practical things they can implement for their students. Yes, yes, peers. Exactly. That's what who we need to listen to. I'm so happy you brought that up. I was thinking, I think I was thinking through the lens of like younger kids, but you're absolutely right. Like, I feel like I, I just envision like the way that your mom wants you to talk when you're 15 is not the way you want to talk with your friends. <laughs> and so I feel like that's the key, right? It's like, listen, listen to what the kids are saying. Because that's really what we want for our AAC users is that peer acceptance. That's so important when you're in school. We, and we all code switch with parents. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Latif, do you have a, some insight? Think. Yes, definitely. Kids come up with their own lingo all the time. And I think young AAC teenagers will want to emulate that lingo and be like their friends. Exactly. That's what we're all trying to do is just, you know, fit in and be with our friends, especially when we're younger. Um, but yeah, I love that. So one of the things I'm hearing is listen, right, which we should all be doing you know, as speech language pathologists, listen to how the kids are communicating and try to help you know, encourage our students to do the same. Is there anything else that we as SLPs can do in this arena? And what I hate is when speech language pathologists say I want to program this word because I know how I would respond, but for a person who uses AAC, they may not have to respond with the actual word. <laughs> yeah, you already predicted this is what I think you're going to say, so they're going to pro program it in, so that's the only option you'd have to say, but they don't know what's in your brain. You're going to come up with whatever you want to come up with. <laughs> yes. We didn't have to say it loud and pretty soon. All we would have to do is make the first syllable and tell them people would know what we were saying. And pretty soon the whole school started using that phrase like a scent. I didn't even have to use my device. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so funny, Kevin. Thank you for sharing that story. So. You guys both have um, a relationship with Isaac and USAC, is that right? Can you describe your work there for a little bit? What are your roles and how did you get involved and you know, what do you do? And what can people do to support that cause? Latif, you wanna go first? I am the vice president of the lead committee at the International Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. I have a seat on the Isaac Executive Board, and I also chair the Isaac Lead Committee. In the Lead Committee, we are organizing a Pathways to Leadership lecture series where people who AAC will share their story of success and leadership strategies that work for them along the way. We also do an AAC chat every other week where Kevin and I take turns moderating hour-long international discussion for Isaac members who use AAC from around the world. If you are a member of Isaac, you will get the notifications for our AAC chats, and please feel free to join. Latif, where do people, where can people go? You'll probably, can you send us a, a link so we can put that in the show notes? We would love to... Put that in the show notes because I think that could be a really great resource for for people. Like I said before, I'm just the technical support for you, Zach, and I think I got an email from you, Rachel, about the link mm -hmm. to one of your articles you did for our blog. Speak of that people can mm -hmm. submit to if you're a member of Isaac and you, Zach. Yes, Kevin. It's so weird that you said that because as soon as you were like, I do tech support for, for you, Zach, I was like, Kevin Williams? I got an email from a Kevin Williams. <laughs> Is this the Kevin Williams who I was corresponding with? 
Well, first of all, let me just tell you, you were so wonderful fixing that issue that I had. <laughs> um, it's just such a, it's such a funny, small world. I like it that as soon as you said that, and then, and then you, you know, of course mentioned that, um, you know, in your response, but yes, um, is wonderful. The speak up blog is awesome. Um, it's definitely a really amazing resource. And I was so honored when I was asked to write an article and, um, yeah, it's just one of the many reasons to become a USAC or Isaac member. So guys, before we wrap up here and you tell, give us your contact information, can I try and summarize some of the main points and you want to give kind of a final thought? I think that would be a good way to kind of wrap this up. So, I think one of the main points were uh, have the uncomfortable conversations and start with people in your circle. Uh, don't let people get away with saying things that are inappropriate. Uh, start with those conversations. S second thing that I heard um, that, that, uh, that is going to stick with me is the analogy of using inspire don't require to educate law enforcement. And if that was something that was always in their head first, uh, and that is something we could, we could work towards, um, it might make everybody uh, understand how to work, not just with black communities, but also with uh, people with disabilities. Those are two standouts in my mind. The third one that really sticks with me is the idea that someone's personality is not equal their their, their voice tone um that it, there's so much more to them than just the voice you pick or the device you choose yet we spend a lot of time choosing what's the right tool for this person but in both cases you are perfect examples of the fact that the, the, i think what you said is that the device mm, doesn't we, we we might have been successful no matter what device we got and there might have an edge here or there on certain ones but it's not about picking the perfect device it's about letting the person express themselves in all the different ways that they can do that those are three highlights of, of that i'm taking away from this conversation but i'd love to hear what your final thoughts are and rachel you want to go, Kevin? Kevin's like, who's going? <laughs> we'll go yep. Kevin and Latif and then yeah. Rachel. How's that? Sounds good. I have time to prepare. <laughs> My final thought to piggyback off the summary that you gave, Chris, is that the device is a tool or musical instrument at the piano for hundreds of years only has 88 keys, but yet so many people use those 88 keys to express themselves in so many ways from Mozart to Stevie Wonder, same tool, but two totally different personalities expressed through that one tool. What an amazing analogy. Perfect. Perfect. I feel like, Kevin, I can imagine that on like something I posted on social media. <laughs> like that was quote worthy. I love that. Violin. I have a video of Bruce Baker saying I use my device like a person playing a violin. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that, Kevin. You, yes, you are really fast and what a wonderful sentiment. Go ahead, Latif. Yes, that is definitely all true. What you said, Chris, and I think we have the opportunity to see and interact with people and find out who they really are instead of operating off assumptions of what you think they are. People can surprise you. Yes, people. I, I think that's part of the problem, right, is we just come into situations with our own preconceived notions of who someone is you know, based on what they look like or what they do. Um, and so I think that ultimately going into situations open and communicating with one another um, and trying to at least recognize the, the biases that we bring into, you know, the conversations that we have and the interactions that we have with people. And maybe that's how we fight racism and ableism. It sounds like it's two fronts. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Where, where can people find you? If they want to connect with you, um, what's a good way to do that? 
basically. People can email me at lmcleod03 at gmail.com or message me in Twitter at CutToSmooth or Instagram at TeefStyle. Please check out my podcast that I am doing with friends called Black Disabled Men Talk. You can listen to it on most podcast platforms or on our website www.blackdisabledmentalk.com. Oh, yes. Amazing. Wait, Latif, how many episodes do you have so far? Seven. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. I had no idea. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. They are all good. I can attest to that. I bet. Hey, Kevin, before you share yours, Latif, one other thing. You had mentioned you, you've written a couple of books. Can you name, can you tell us what those books are again? Crip Revolution. My books are entitled A Declaration of a Body of Love and Whispers of Crip Love and Shouts of Crip Revolution. Awesome. And can you get those like on Amazon? Yep. All right, cool. Cool. And Kevin, how do we contact you or how do people reach out to you? Um, pretty much everything. I'm LL Slim. LL Slim. Got it. I'm going to follow right. you guys on social media. Yeah. Well, I'm going to follow you on Twitter. <laughs> Rachel's more the yes. Instagram person. Yes, on Twitter, and I have some things on YouTube, like water skiing videos, which I like to do a lot. Awesome. Send us those links. We will put them in the show notes so everyone can go access them and watch them. And guys, thank you so much for taking the time here to share these important messages. I, I feel like these are the conversations that need to happen for the needle to move forward. And so thank you for taking your time to do this. Yes, thank you for having us. What an amazing episode. I cannot wait to share this again. Thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing your experiences for talking with tech. I'm Rachel Madel joined by Chris Bougay, Latif McLeod and Kevin Williams. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week. Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.